0: Family, you can be seated. So I was uh, thinking of how to describe this relationship, and maybe you guys have a relationship, a relationship that is similar. Maybe you were raised with a cousin, or maybe you met a friend in college, and you and that friend got really close, but then you don't see them often. You know, Maybe you don't see them that often, but when you do get together, it's like y'all, y'all just left each other's presence. You can, you can pick back right up and kick it, and you might not have seen that person physically for a year, but the bond that was created through an experience has you locked in. You know, they, they get you, you get them. Well, for us, one of our brother, sister, one of our partnering churches is Restore, and Restore Church is like that, that bonding companion that we might not see each other as often as we want to, but when we get together, it's all love. And so today we have one of the pastors from Restore, uh, Pastor Cleet, he's actually going to preach the word for us today. And we are excited to have our, our brothers, our, our co-laborers in the faith uh, with us. And the thing that we bond in unity over is seeing Christ exalted and people growing in Christ through discipleship. That's linked us. And and now we we see each other as partners just in other parts of the city trying to do the same work for the kingdom. So, come on up, my brother. I want to pray for Cleet. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for our brother. God, we thank you. We thank you that the Restore family is preaching your gospel. That they are showing the love of christ the compassion of christ with the prophetic word of christ they are seeking to see people hear the gospel evangelizing but also desiring to see people grow in the gospel through discipleship so god our brother today as he uh, brings a word from you god his tongue in jesus name we pray amen
1: amen thank you pastor leon it is a privilege and honor to be here two times in one year. And so I thank uh, y'all for extending the invitation to me. Uh, greetings from Restore Church. I know many of you know people at Restore and vice versa and have a love for one another. I'm hoping this thing stays set as I look at my notes. Hold on here one second. Nah, it's Okay. I won't be able to pound it like you probably do, but uh, we'll get through today. Well, the passage I was given to preach on is Exodus 23, 1 through 9. Exodus 23, 1 through 9. So if you want to turn there with me, we'll read this together. Exodus 23, 1 through 9 and this is going to piggyback as you've went through Exodus 20 the ninth commandment which is about not bearing false witness. And the title of the message today is truth a must, love always. Truth a must, love always. If you're there with me in Exodus 23 would you read along with me? You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with the wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many, so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in a lawsuit." If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit." Keep far from the false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked, and you shall take no bribe, for the bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress the sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt." Truth a must. Love always. As we go through this text, we're going to break this down three ways. The first section, verses one through three, we're going to be talking about a witness who is telling the truth. The second is an act with someone that may have taken you to court, but actually you've had conflict with at some level, and they may have won and your response to them as a neighbor. And then the third, verses six through nine, are judges presiding with the truth. Well, have you ever been in court? Maybe a plaintiff, maybe a defendant, maybe just as a witness in court. And what do they have you do at the beginning if you get up on the witness stand? Swear to tell the whole truth, well, actually the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then they add, so help you God. I solemnly swear. Well, what we want to get at today, I believe, is the truth that will lead us to justice. And the reverse is true. When there is no truth, we will have injustice. Many of us followed the Olympics this summer. And towards the end of the Olympics, there was a man who got caught up in bearing false witness. He said he had a gun put to his head by some fake cops that pulled over his taxi cab. And as the truth came out, as the investigation came, we know that wasn't the case. He was bearing false witness against people in the land of Brazil. Brazil. Now, some people looked at it as, well, there was kernels of truth, there were fake cops, and if you've seen mall cops, I'm assuming he was saying the security cops were fake cops, but was that really what happened? He never got in the taxi cab, and it sounded like they got money from him because he destroyed some property. Well, we all know this man as Ryan Lotke and he just received some some justice or at least the people of Brazil did to a certain extent in the fact that he is now suspended for 10 months. But this is not uncommon in our society nowadays to subvert the truth by bearing false witness against people that we may not agree with or that we may want to put ourselves in better light around. Mark 14, 55 through 59 says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him. But their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him. The worst crime in human history has what we're going to talk about today of bearing false witness. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ being put to death on false charges. The worst crime in human history is an innocent, perfect man being put to death because people wanted to manipulate the truth. Manipulating truth to get a desired outcome, even when it has crumbs of truth in it, mixed with lies. And we know from Scripture, God hates a lying tongue. John 8.44 says this, You are of your father the devil, and and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus in here is referring to the Jews here. God's chosen people, right? Yes, but when the truth was not on their lips, Jesus condemns them as children of Satan. How many of you love a chicken salad? I love a chicken salad. Now salad does not agree with me, as many green vegetables don't. Sugars and hot sauce and those type things do. But I love to have a nice bed of lettuce with grilled chicken on top, with some frank red hot, with some cheese. I love that. Now picture with me in your mind we take the grilled chicken off of that nice bed of lettuce but we'll leave the cheese and the hot sauce because I really like those. But me, imagine with me I go to the chicken coop and I get some of the poop and I sprinkle it on my salad. Now it's chicken, right? No. But I still got good things on the salad. The salad's still good, right? No. Why is the salad now tainted? I've got chicken poo on it, right? Oh no! We've got a Frank's hot sauce hater in the house. <laughs> Sis, we'll talk to the leadership about this afterwards. <laughs> I hope you're not a member yet. <laughs> But what happens to those things which are good when something vile is put on top of it? It taints it, and now it becomes no good. You would not brush the crumbs of chicken feces off of the salad and try to eat it. You would throw it all away because it has been violated. Well, as we continue... Through these verses today, manipulation of the truth with a lie and bearing false witness is the same principle. God condemns, as we go through this also, a mob mentality. It says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with the wicked man to be malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many Do evil. In our day and age, there are many avenues which we can create or be a part of that we link hands with the many. This mom mentality that, though it be emotionally driven, sometimes and a lot of times lacks truth. At the forefront of truth is not who we link arms with, and those of truth, we will get sidetracked in our mission. I know the illustration I'm going to give is not going to be a court case, but I do think it illustrates how emotions can trump truth. And we've seen it played out in our urban communities around the country. It was said by Martin Luther King Jr. that rioting is the voice of the unheard. But what did Martin Luther King mean when he said this? Is he being misrepresented when we see rioting and looting, when people link up with those who are doing wicked? What does God say about this? I want to make a side note real quick that I pray to God that God raises up a man or woman of faith like Martin Luther King, that can lead us forward into racial reconciliation at a national level. This man was a man of faith, and what he stood for came out of his faith. Let me continue reading what Martin Luther King said after he said, rioting is the voice of the unheard. Let me say As I've always said, and I will always continue to say, the riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I am still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than we will solve. That, in the real sense, is an impractical For the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and to continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. And continue to affirm that there is another way. As I was doing research in the past on Ferguson and all of these, a lot of people linked arms with those who were rioting and using Martin Luther as the avenue of why it was right when he condemns it, bearing false witness against a man who is no longer with us. It is wicked and wrong to solve injustice with another injustice, and then to attribute it to this great leader. And why are we doing this in our communities? You have been, maybe heard it said when you were younger, two wrongs don't make a right. I've seen many Christians, though, maybe not a part of this body, not be a part of violence in our community, but offer excuses of why it's happening. And... To be fair, Martin Luther King did not offer excuses, but he offered reasons why it was happening, even though he condemned it. Instead of condemning sin as sin, we will have a tendency to sugarcoat it and offer platitudes of why certain actions are warranted instead of calling sin, sin. As Christians, we must be a part of, of the solution not just posting tweets on facebook or however that's done and believing that that will solve the problems no we must we must be a part of change to see oppression systematic injustice and racism in our neighborhoods called out and work towards seeing God's grace have real change take place. No, God is not looking for a tweet ambassador, but he is looking for his work to be done here on earth. 1 John three seventeen and 18 says, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When we talk about this mob mentality, when we talk about this court of public opinion, when we talk about moral issues, what drives your thinking on what you believe? Is it the word of God when we talk about homosexuality? Is it the word of God when we talk about abortion? Is it the word of God when we talk about systemic injustice of racism? Is it the word of God when we talk about any moral failure here in America? Or any hot button issue here in America? Or are we linking arms with the wicked? I do believe there are a lot of issues that the Word of God informs us of. But unfortunately, whoever has the loudest voice in our media, on our social stream, or whatever, seems to be the way a lot of us think. And That cannot be. We need to not hold hands with the wicked. Verse 3 says, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit, this highlights the danger of misplaced, although well-intentioned mercy of absolving the poor when they are clearly wrong. In other words, of Alan Cole, this is what he says: a more subtle temptation than that of considering the rich and powerful as always right is that of considering them as always wrong. And thus assuming, of course, that the poor are always victims and right. Of course, God, as we see in his word, is concerned about compassion of the poor, but that should never be a substitute for justice and truth. The law in verse 3 commands us to be sure to respect God's principles of justice when dealing with a case of conflict involving a poor person. There is no place for partiality when it comes to God's righteousness and his judgments. And since we are a people ruled by God and his law, we will favor neither the poor or the rich in matters of conflict. In other words, we will be ruled by neither politics of poverty or politics of envy. Rather, we will be ruled by the law of God. Note the motivation here is God's character. Leviticus 19, 15, and 16, it says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honoring the person of the mighty. I am the Lord. This case law highlights the principle of God's standard of righteousness, and it is incorrect. partial. Sin is sin, regardless of who commits it. It highlights a reality that God holds each of us accountable for self-government, that God takes us seriously. And I have seen many Christians who have moved into neighborhoods like this, and I live between Linwood and Dexter over by Joy Road, who have moved into neighborhoods and have failed To call out sin in their own neighborhoods. And they may have come from the suburbs. And we see the injustices that have been perpetrated upon the poor clearly. And we call those out. But are we looking as our at our neighbor as a victim? Or are we looking at our neighbor as our neighbor and an equal? I think our churches have lost its prophetic voices by not calling out the sins in our neighborhoods, by not holding each other accountable in our neighborhoods, but only calling out the sin of oppression. And that is a huge and glaring sin in our society nowadays and should be called out. But if we have a one-sided voice, it is not an accurate and true voice. I believe America's system of justice and law has been riddled with injustice and oppression of the poor. If you do not have money for a good lawyer, you may just get sent up the river. Where if you have money for a good lawyer you may get a slap on the wrist, if that. I could spend hours talking about the formation of this country, how its wealth has been distributed, and how it all happened on the backs of the poor. For generations, people of color were slaves in this country. And I believe we as Christians need to educate our counterparts on this with an understanding of how we got to where we are today in regards to racial issues, the distribution of wealth, socioeconomically. We need to do that. But if we only call out those sins and we do not call out the sins of our community, our conscience should prick us to say we are one-sided. We have no excuse for showing partiality to the poor when God tells us to act justly. We have had a lot of homes broken into in our neighborhood. And we come to find out there's one gentleman that has been doing it. So I went to his mother. He's 20 years old. And I said, when Devante comes home, would you have him see me? He came home, and I watched him. He went straight in, and he came straight out. Mama got him and said, Pastor Cleen wants to see you. Devante came and said, yeah, man, what do you want? I said, I just had a house broken into. My neighbor's house got broken into and we know you did it. Yeah, I did it. I said, bro, this can't happen. I said, first of all, you need to repent to the neighbor who you just broke into. I said, will you do that? He said, I'll talk to him. So I called the man. He was in Arkansas. And he talked to him. Apologized to him. The neighbor wasn't having anything to do with it, but at least he tried. He needs a job. I told him I would take him to a job applications if he would quit smoking weed because as we know, you can't get a job if you smoke a weed. I said, first things first, bro. Let's quit smoking the weed so when we take the drug test, we can pass. We can get the job. There ain't no reason to wreck the job interview with you know, a bad drop. My point is... I had to talk to him. He has sinned against our community. And as a pastor on my block, people look up to me to do the right thing. Now, I could have made excuses for why he did what he did. And some of those excuses would be true. But sin still happened. He stole the big screen TV. He stole DVRs. He's done those things and I needed to talk to him about it and confront his sin. It will lead to gospel opportunities. Real change in his life is going to take place when the gospel invades his life. But without calling out sin as sin, we'll never get there. We're going to go on to this second section of how we act when we have a person of conflict. Verses four and five say, if you meet your enemies, and this could say, if you meet someone who's at odds against you and taking you to court, ox or his donkey going astray. And I, how many of y'all have ox and donkeys? One. Okay, good. We got one. So this will apply. Sometimes I'm a donkey, but um, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down underneath its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Work alongside someone that hates you. Are you kidding me? This is referring to someone who may have taken you to court, who does not like you, who may have won against you. But what does the Bible say? If we skip ahead to the New Testament Matthew 5, Verses 43, it says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is your idea of loving your neighbor and who is your neighbor? It may be that neighbor who right next door you have ought against. Have you ever had a neighbor flip their dog poop in your yard? It's hard to be neighborly, isn't it? It's hard to fight against this feeling of when you see someone struggling that you have had ought against to go, hmm, No, what they deserve, karma's a, And I tend to, in my heart of hearts, When I see someone who has wronged me, that I view has wronged me, I tend to go, hmm, yeah. Versus going, you know what? I need to help that person in their time of need. And I confess to you, I kind of uh, have this mentality sometimes of losers weepers. I have the mentality of possessions nine-tenths of the law. I have this mentality flash before my eyes that you get what you deserve. But is that what God wants from each one of us? No. Not at all. God's standard of love that does right no matter who that other person is. God shows no partiality when it comes to truth or love. Who do you love? Do you love that white person that may have called you a name that was derogatory? Do I love the black person that called me to honky the other day? And it happens. Let's be honest. We're the only white people on our block. It's quiet. It's okay to laugh. I am a honky, so it is what it is. But who do you love? Is it only those who socioeconomically you are like? Who racially you are like? Who collegiately you are like? I'm so glad God did not leave us right there. Because when we look at when we were enemies with God before we knew God, he came to this earth and John 3:16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then we go to Romans 5, 6-11, says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We weren't friends of God when he died for us. We were ungodly enemies with him, yet he died for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in while we were yet sinners, while we were God haters, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him to God by the death, excuse me, by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. You were not God's child when he died for you. He died for you when you hated him. And we get it twisted. We think sometimes... I'm a good person. God says, no, you weren't. You hated me. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were ungodly. Yet I showed love for you. No partiality. I came to this earth and I died the death that you deserve. God didn't look at us and go, "Mm, getting what's coming to you now, ain't you, boy? No, he... Died so that we could receive life. And now we must extend our love to those people who hate us. If you are truly a child of God, God extended his love to you when you hated him. And you could, I never hated God. Liar. If you do not live for him, you hate God. It's that simple. While your life was broken down under the weight of sin, you carrying all of that baggage, Christ came and died so that you could receive eternal life. What a magnificent, magnificent story this is. This is the gospel. This is what we proclaim in our neighborhoods to our families, to our coworkers. Christ died for you when you were ungodly, but you can be reconciled to him. What a magnificent message that we have to proclaim and also to live out. If we are not modeling this with our lives, but only with our tongues, we are wrong and we are in sin. we're going to finish up here because I could go all day. See what time it is. Oh, I got plenty of time. You said 1230, right brother? Okay. So this next portion, verses six uh, through nine, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a judge in justice for a judge with those judgments And what we're going to look at here, and I'm going to condense this because we are way past our time, and I've got three more pages, so I'm going to have to go very, very quickly. But just like we looked at in verse 3, where we can tend to have an excuse or a temptation to exonerate the poor, verse 6 addresses the matter of a temptation to exploit the poor. Just as we are forbidden to exonerate the poor based on his economic circumstances, neither are we to exploit his adverse circumstances. To put it another way, we are to avoid favoring the rich in his cause against the poor. You should not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute, verse 6 says. This has been a problem throughout human history, but it is up to the judges to protect the powerless, making sure that the poor get what they deserve. Equity in the eyes of the law is a duty of all of us, not merely the court system. It is not by accident that the famous picture of justice is a lady blindfolded. Material prosperity or the lack thereof, is never to be a factor in a complaint. But oh, how this often occurs. It occurs in our interpersonal relationships, but it also occurs even in our churches. Think of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5. God killed them. Perhaps he killed the wealthiest people in the church. Leon, who's your wealthiest person in this church? (laughs) Don't. Leon would hate to lose them. Alvin, you'd hate to lose the wealthiest person in the church, wouldn't you? Yeah. God says, you lied. Boom. They're going, man, 50% of our income's gone. God, what are you doing? It was just, it was just. God showed no partiality. They came before the altar and lied to the leaders of the church, and he killed them. Are you willing in your churches to call out sin with the wealthy among us? Do we honor God in this way? And trust me, we've seen some people go from our body who had some books and were very generous with them. But when we've pressed, they leave. But God is honored when we have impartiality within the body and we call sin as sin. Well, the second thing I want us to see is corruption. Judges that pertain to corruption. Keep yourselves from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not justify the wicked and you shall take no bribe put bribe down okay no bribe for bribes blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous we know God's law specifically finds in God's character Deuteronomy ten seventeen says, For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes bribes. Gary North argues, God is a righteous judge. His judgments cannot be purchased by anyone. He honors his law, not gifts from men. And verse 7 is a strong admonition against judges being flippant, in weighing the evidence and rendering a verdict. And just like leadership here must weigh evidence in church matters and not be knee-jerk or emotional, we need to be that way in our lives as we weigh things that people say to us. What is the truth? Truth matters. I'm going to skip down to the bottom because we don't have time to continue to go into this. But I want to make sure that we talk about the sojourner as it says in the last verse before we leave. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Each one of us are sojourners here on this earth. No matter who God puts in your path, we are to love. Our kingdom is not of this world. Our ultimate destination is heaven if we are a Christian. We must love those who are different than us. We must love the people God is bringing to the United States. Muslims have got a bad rap. We're thinking of 9 11 even today, but we must love our Muslim neighbors. We must love our white neighbors, our black neighbors, our Asian neighbors. Those who God brings around us, we must love. We must love our homosexual neighbors, our transgendered neighbors. I'm not saying you condone everything that happens, but I'm saying you must love. You don't have to be against sin to not love. My neighbor, who was down the block from us, was a homosexual, practicing. He had a husband, as he called him. We had keys to his house. And he knew that I didn't agree with that lifestyle, that I believed the Word of God called it sin. But when he went on vacation, we took care of his dogs. We took care of his house. Why? Because I did not set in judgment every time I got with him. We would actually spend time together. I loved him as my neighbor. I didn't love him as a sinning homosexual. And he knew how I felt. I didn't have to condemn him every time I saw him. But I loved him as my neighbor. He has since moved, but we still stay in contact. How can we love those that are different than us? By deeds and truth. We said at the beginning that truth a must, love always. Do not let emotions trump truth, but always, always love. If you find someone that you have disagreement with that may need some reeducation in their thinking, love them through that. Don't cast stones. And as I wrap up today, I want us to look at how do we look at truth? What is God telling you today? Are you getting truth from his word? Are you getting your truth from His Word as it is preached here Sunday after Sunday? Or are you getting it from your own emotional thinking of how you think the world should be or your perceived thinking? I pray that we would get the truth of the Word of God in our hearts so that we may not sin against Him as the Bible says. We need to pray to God that He would give us eyes to see where we fail in this area, where we may go along with the emotion and not look at truth as we should. God, I pray to You today that our hearts would be changed, that we would not bear false witness. God, that we would not have truth and sprinkle it with lies. That we would not manipulate truth. God, may we find you to be our ultimate truth. May we look to you for our guidance in how we navigate so many things in our society today. How we use the things in our society today. God, I I repent to you now for myself being emotional on so many issues and and not being a truth-bearer as I should. God, I pray that I would love always, that I would love my neighbor as I love myself. God, I do want to thank you. As you've done to so many people here, while I hated you, you brought me to yourself. God, what a blessing, what an honor it is to work for you today. God, what an honor it is to be called your child. God, may we meet out justice in the way that you meet out justice, and that is laying down our life for your service. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.